You're listening to The 66 Podcast, a podcast where we go through the books of the Bible one at a time. If you're joining us for the first time, uh, our episodes are divided up into three segments. First, we read the text for the week, and that could be one chapter or several. We read it, we give you a basic outline of what goes on, then we take a break, then we come back in the second section, and we dig a little bit deeper, maybe into some specific words or some kind of style of the passage or maybe some kind of difficult history or something like that and we'll dive into that in the second section really just uh, to have a little fun and to dig deeper into the text and then we come back for a final section of application and we talk about how does this apply to my life today how can I use these passages that we have studied in my life when this episode is over And we have been going through the book of Jeremiah, and we've been having a really good time. There's been lots of, I guess like any other book of prophecy, there's so much stuff packed into these books that I guess maybe people are a little intimidated by the prophets and how difficult sometimes they can be to understand. Maybe the length of some of them, like Jeremiah, the complicated timeline that exists in prophecy or books of prophecy. But we've really been interested have some great guests on in this series so far. And today we find ourselves in chapter 20. And Drew, I really like your title that you have for this on your outline. When the Preacher Wants to Quit. Yeah, this one may get a little personal for you and me. Yeah. I don't know. Are we going to come out of here and want to quit our jobs? I don't know. This is our last podcast. It's It's not the most optimistic chapter in the Bible. This isn't the book of Philippians. This is... Right. This is pretty dark, pretty dark stuff, but also extremely interesting stuff and, you know, really shows you a glimpse into Jeremiah's heart or actually his heart is just ripped wide open and you get to look at it just raw as it is. Um, And we'll talk about, you know, this idea of a preacher wanting to quit in a moment. Let me say something in terms of timeline I don't know how interested people are in that. We may have made a mistake on this. You know, maybe this should have come a few weeks ago. Maybe not. It's really hard to place this. Mm -hmm. Uh, On one side of it, we put it here where it is because it looks like things are heating up. And Jeremiah is going to receive some, shall we say, corporal punishment here. He's going to suffer bodily not any permanent damage, but he's going to get some bodily harm done to him in right. this episode. Um, but on the other hand, he had gone into hiding during the fourth year of Jehoiakim, which we covered two weeks ago. Uh, that occurred in like 605 B.C. And so some argue that, you know, he hasn't quite gone into hiding here. He's obviously out in the public, so that happened beforehand. But we can say this is during the time of Jehoiakim still. That's where we've been in his reign for the last uh, three weeks. Right. Something like that. So a lot has occurred during Jehoiakim's reign, and we still got more to go on that. And uh, that's pretty much the best we can do in terms of timeline. Now, we can understand this chapter uh, probably better than some of the others we've been going through. This is very straightforward, and it is about a preacher, Jeremiah being the preacher, who wants to quit. And there's just a few points that we'll make as we go through the reading today to get the sense of the story. And the first one is this. When the preacher wants to quit, 
There is a reason why he wants to quit. Look at verses 1 through 3. Now Pashur the priest, the son of Emir, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. Then Pashur beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. The next day, when Pashur released Jeremiah from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, The Lord does not call your name Pashur, but terror on every side. So, the reason there, is there any question in your mind, um, Andrew, why Jeremiah wanted to quit his job at this point? Would you have continued to preach after being treated this way? I think, I totally understand where he's coming from here. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I think everybody can relate. I mean, we could say this for apply, but, you know, just the... There is definitely a reason here for him to be upset. Oh, He's yeah. not overreacting. Agreed. Okay, so here's the second part. Um, the When the preacher wants to quit, number two, he feels insulted. Now listen to the feelings of his heart in verses 7 and 8. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. So he feels insulted. Now here's the third one. When the preacher wants to quit, he can't. He mm-hmm. can't. Um, like and one. he can't for two reasons. I'll get to those in a minute. But look at verse 9. Uh, He says, If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. You see him saying, I can't. Mm -hmm. I can't. And there are two reasons why he can't. The first one is because of what he knows. The Word of God is shut up in his bones like a burning fire. He, He knows too much. He just can't keep from saying it. And... Secondly, he can't because of what he knows about God. Look at verses 11 and following. The Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you have I committed my cause." Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers. So he knows God is just. He knows in his heart of hearts that God is um, fair to the righteous and rescues those who are oppressed. And because of that, he can't quit delivering this message. One last thing. When the preacher wants to quit, this is uh, number four, he still struggles. He wants to quit. He can't, but he still struggles. The end of this chapter, it isn't like, um, you know, what is it, Psalm 73, where the psalmist goes through a crisis and he begins where he's just, you know, really upset at the prosperity of the wicked and the mm-hmm. injustice is done to the righteous. And then he said, then I went to the house of the Lord and he kind of gets it all straightened out. And the end of the psalm is more positive than the beginning of the psalm. That's not how this chapter goes. You have that little interlude of verses 11 through 13, and then you have this at the end of the chapter, verse 14. Cursed be the day on which I was born. 
The day when my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. A son is born to you, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon, because he did not kill me in the womb. So my mother would have been my grave, and her womb forever great. Why did I come out from the womb to seek toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? I mean, that's really not a very positive depressing. note. Yeah, and he's cursing the guy who told his dad, "You have a son." And this guy's innocent. He was just trying to deliver some good news, but he's wanting him to. Uh, <laughs> it, what did he say? Like he Let wanted him be to be like overthrown, like the cities the Lord overthrew. Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. And because he didn't kill him instead of bringing good news to his father. So he's still struggling, and he's bitter, and he's letting it out. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, gives us a lot to talk about in the next section. So as we come back to think about some of the things we read in Jeremiah 20, the first thing really is the second word of the chapter, this guy, Pashur, that's a priest, the son of a guy named Emer, or Emer, I'm not really sure how to pronounce that. Somebody probably does, and they're laughing at me right now. But he is a descendant of this guy, Emer. And if you if you look in chapter 21, there's another guy named Pashur. Same name, same spelling. And there's, I think, two others in the Bible named Pashur, at least well, one more. Well, what I found was that in 38.1, both of these guys are mentioned again. So I think okay. there are four, four references to Pashur, one two in guys. 20 verse 1, one in 21 verse 1, and then both of them are mentioned in 38 verse 1. Okay. So it's clear that there are at least two. Right. And the one in 20 verse 1 is different for the one in 21, verse 1. Mm-hmm. And I think, I didn't read it real carefully, but I, I believe the guy in 21, verse 1 is friendly to Jeremiah, right? This right. is a whole different time, and right. this is he's during kinda, Zedekiah's time. Yeah, he's sent to Jeremiah to kind of get some words from Jeremiah and then carry him out to a king. Yeah, he goes to Jeremiah and asks him to inquire of the Lord for him. Right. So that's going to be different from this guy that, right. you know, is a classic... Bible villain. And, you mm-hmm. know, he reminds me of Haman in the book of Esther, yeah. or I believe his name's Azariah, the, the guy in um, Amos, in Amos 7, hmm. who uh, told him told Amos to go back home and prophesy at home. Yeah. Um, just these stuck-up religious establishment guys who won't hear God's prophets. Um He's clearly not somebody you would ask Jeremiah to to inquire of the Lord for him. Right. So I think we bring that up just in case you read chapters 20 and 21 in succession. And you read this story in 20 and then you start reading chapter 21. And we're talking about this guy, Pashur. You might think these go together. They're two different men. And chapter 38, verse 1 really proves that. Uh, This guy, Pashur, was, as he's called here, was he a captain 
He's called a chief officer in the house of the Lord. So he works in the temple. Uh, some other translations have overseer. Uh, Young's literal says he was an overseer, a leader in the house of Jehovah. So his job, he's working in this upper Benjamin gate, uh, which is a gate that's going to lead you into the temple. From I kind of see wall. him, yeah, and I kind of see him as uh, the head of the temple guards. Yeah, and I even read one guy said that uh, he was second only to the high priest among the priests. Yeah, you know, I, was, I read that as well. You know, so um, he was a very important official mm-hmm. and kind of on the military side of things, but also a priest. Right, so dual function: religious importance, military importance. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be this is going to be important. Pashur's role here is it's another, and we'll save this for reply, but it's a really big contrast. Again, we've already noticed a lot of contrasts, a lot of irony, I guess, so far in the book. But there's going to be another big one here. So Pashur is in this uh, position of authority. He's in charge of all the guards, like you mentioned. He's a captain, I guess for lack of a better word. But his name gets changed. You look in verse 3. When Pashur released Jeremiah from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, The Lord does not call your name Pashur, but terror on every side. And Drew, I really wanted this to be one of those things in Hebrew where you know, the names sound the same, or like Pashur... There's actually some commentaries that say Pashur does mean security on mm-hmm. all sides. The opposite of right. terror on every side. Right. Yeah. But I did some digging, and from what I could find, there's there's really not much to that. I think it's people trying to stretch it because they want that to work. Well, I understand why but, they want it to, to work because of the way Jeremiah says it. He says, right. yeah. your name is not Pashur, so Pashur must have meant something. Yeah, you know, like all names did. I'm just not sure we know what it meant. But he's like, I'm changing your name mm-hmm. to what's your to what your because your your mother the name your mother gave you does not describe you. Right, you're described by this. Some translations have it, mm-hmm. Magor Ma, Magor Misabib, mm-hmm. Magor Misabib, which that's the terror means terror around. on every side in mm-hmm. Hebrew. Um, and there is, you know, the closest thing I could find, and I've got this big word study in Hebrew book, and I went through to look and see where this name comes from, and I found the name and a root, and the root means to tear apart, and then the hur, the part at the end, the closest thing I could find to that, like, has to do with a cave or a hole. So I don't to really dig think, a hole? <laughs> yeah. So I don't see a whole lot of... Maybe there's a Hebrew scholar out there listening that can Your name straight, is not dig a hole. Your name is terror on every side. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so it's yeah, kind of... You may have just been giving him this terror on every side name. That's and what that's, it looks like. That's, that's what it all there like. is to it. As much yeah. as I would love for it to be the opposite... Two things. It's, yeah. It doesn't look like it is. And we, could we, be want wrong, him, we want him to be taking something away and then giving him something... Adding right. some reproach to him, but mm-hmm. it looks like he's just putting the reproach on him. Yeah, just as simple as God doesn't call you by Pashur. God calls you terror on every side. Yeah. You know, just kind of the, like you said, just the rebuke or just the, the negative part without taking something away from him. Uh, just adding something bad to him, I guess, which I don't really know if one's mm-hmm. worse than the other. But this it's interesting that this phrase, terror on every side, it appears a few times in Jeremiah. Uh, You might have noticed it in verse 10 if you read through chapter 20. 
Jeremiah says, I hear whispering, I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. You find it also in chapter 6, verse 25, chapter 46 and verse 5, and chapter 49 and verse 29. And we also have the Lamentations by Jeremiah. And that phrase appears in chapter 2 and verse 22. So oh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, it's a theme. And it also appears once in the Psalms. I didn't write down the reference, huh. but I do remember one time in the Psalms. So it's kind of a, I guess, maybe a familiar phrase. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's some more meaning behind it. Um, I wonder if Pashur had his business cards changed <laughs> afterwards. To terror on oh. every side. That's a little more intimidating. Mm-hmm. What's your name, Pashur? Okay. What's your name? Terror on every side. I go with my Sabib. Yeah. Well, I don't think he liked the name. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> probably not. I don't think anybody would enjoy having that. Uh, and that yeah. leads me to my next thing here for Think is what exactly he does as a villain. You know, why does he get that punishment? Well, it's because of what he does to Jeremiah. Like so many in Israel, God sends a prophet and he refuses to hear. You know, instead of accepting him with open arms, he beats him, puts him in the stocks. And here's something I want to get your opinion on, Drew. This word for he beat him. Now, I'm not sure exactly. I hope people will entertain me here. I'm not sure if this is going to be important to whether, you know, your salvation or your eternity. But I think we can we can learn a lot from this based on what exactly happened here. It says that he beat Jeremiah. Now, if you look in uh, American Standard Version or Young's Literal or even the King James Version, you find that he smote him or smiteth him, which is just the kind of idea of one smack to the face. With a, um, with a, with a hand or whatever. Yes. Very yeah. similar to what would have happened to Paul in Acts 23 when the high priest smacked him across the face uh, because Paul said something that was Call him a whitewashed wall? Yeah. Something? Yeah. And, uh, so it could be just smacking to humiliating. But here's here's the problem. This word for smite, and here I go on a word again. Sorry about that. But the word is used of God wiping out humanity in the flood in Genesis chapter 8 and 21. The word is also used of Abram wiping out all those kings that were together in collusion. Mm-hmm. They were holding Lot in Genesis 14. And it's also used of Moses striking the Nile with a staff in Exodus 17.5. So this word has a wide range of meaning. It looks like it could be either one. I don't know that it makes that big but, a difference. But, you know, since you, since you said that about Moses with his staff, that puts more in mind a, a beating with a rod. Right. Or at least a whip or something, which is the way... Now, I was reading from the ESV, and it uses the word beat as opposed to strike or smote. So I already think of an instrument in Pashur's hands. Right, me too. Uh, he's a guard. More than likely, he has a weapon on him. I'm thinking that Jeremiah got beat with, you know, a rod. More Some similar to... Ritualistic beating, you know. Yeah, like you said in the break a moment ago, more likened unto Jesus' beating than yeah. Paul's smack in the face. Yes. So, Something official, you know, like, you know, something that they do regularly. Right. And if that were the case, you know, we don't have a whole lot of... There's typical of the Hebrew language. There's not a whole lot of details here in this narrative account. But if he was beaten, it would have been done illegally. Because here as a prophet, he would have 
According to the law, he would have supposed to have gone through some kind of due process. You know, there would have yeah. been witnesses involved that would have gone before the rest of the the officials of Judah, you know, within the Sanhedrin, I guess, or what was there. Yeah, this guy, Pashur, is just acting on his own. There's right. no mention of anybody but, but him. Uh, I'm sure he had some of his underlings put Jeremiah in the stocks, which... You know, we need to talk about that also and what that is. Right. Most of our listeners understand what stocks are. Um, money. No, not no. <laughs> you did not invest in the stock market. Yeah, no. a lot of money. Now, this is bad. You know, it's uh, an instrument. Uh, what's the best word? It has a. It's a framework. Let's let's yeah. describe it that way. That has a hole for your head. And holes for your hands, perhaps, mm-hmm. and maybe even for your feet. Right. That you know basically puts you in a position that you can't move in. Mm-hmm. And um, it's even more rigid than chains, because chains give you some flexibility to get up, and move around. Maybe you can't fully straighten up, but you can move and change position. This keeps you in the same position. And he was in that position for maybe 24 hours because it yeah. wasn't until the next day that he let him out of the stocks. I've seen some stocks. Uh, went to Charleston, South Carolina, outside to have the old Charles Charlestown settlement with some of the buildings and, and recreations of the buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, old, old structures. And in the middle of the settlement was kind of like the town square and there was some stocks there where they would punish people who got out of line. And you put people in there, and not only are they immobile, not only are they exposed to the elements, the hot sun, but uh, people would spit at them and go by. Jeremiah talks about how he was mocked. Uh, when he says, I became a laughing stock all the day, everyone mocks me, he's talking about his experience in those stocks. He's sitting there, he can't get away. People can stand there and make fun of him and spit on him and throw things at him and right. hit him with rocks or tomatoes or whatever. Hmm. Just do these awful, rude things, and he has to just sit and take it. It's a horrible, horrible thing to go through. Right, and that's that really goes back to why exactly he was put in there in the first place. They did it to shame him, really, is what Pashur has in mind. He's in that height, that upper gate of Benjamin, um, and this would have caused, you know, people walking by, seeing him being derided, being persecuted, people making fun of him, maybe throwing stuff at him, probably would have hurt Jeremiah's influence a pretty yeah. good bit. Because uh, this gate was in a prominent place, like we said, maybe people are coming into the temple, uh, going in and out, offering sacrifices, coming to worship, that sort of thing. And there they see this prophet who is deemed here by Pashur to be a false prophet, obviously. Um, and that's some of that irony we were talking about. Um, but I guess that leads us into some of the things that we're going to see in Jeremiah's lament here, or his complaint that he brings up against God. Yeah, you know, in the first episode, you went through themes that we'll see in the book of Jeremiah. And one of the themes you mentioned was theology or, or God. And uh, we have learned a lot about God and His nature as we've looked through the book of Jeremiah. And this chapter is full of um, intriguing, maybe even perplexing information about God. Uh, so I wanted to go through you know, four things real quickly uh, 
that uh, struck me, uh, starting in verse 7. You know, what does this mean about God where Jeremiah the prophet says, O Lord, you have deceived me and I was deceived. You know, that's a pretty, it sounds like an accusation. Mm-hmm. And so the question here, as we look at the theology of Jeremiah, is is Jeremiah teaching us that God lies to people? Because the word deceive means to lie to people. Right. Is that what he's saying? And uh, I think the first thing to point out is that this word deceived can mean deceive, or it can mean persuaded. And some translations do try to solve the problem in that way. Uh, the American Standard Version says, You have persuaded me, and I was persuaded. Mm-hmm. Um, the New King James Version says, You have induced me, and I was persuaded. Uh, the New English Translation says, You have coerced me. That's a little, that's probably my favorite of all of them. You've coerced me, because right. it has a little bit of deceive in it, but then a little bit of persuade in it. Mm-hmm. A little bit of both. Uh, you have coerced me, and I allowed you, or something like that. I allowed it. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, I think that. But then I found chapter fifteen, and I, did you see this the, in chapter fifteen? I don't think Go so. over to chapter fifteen and look at um, verse uh, verse eighteen, Jeremiah fifteen eighteen. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? You know, they had these wadis, W-A-D-I, the dry riverbeds. And that's what a deceitful brook is. You know, in that part of the world, water was hard to come by. And, uh, you know, people were not very fond of waterless clouds and waterless brooks and Mm-hmm. You know, they often would curse them. And, and Jeremiah is saying, you're like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail. So, you know, there's no way, you can't translate that persuasive brook. Mm-hmm. You know, there he's obviously Coercive making this brook. idea. And, and I think, you know, I don't know how you're interpreting this. We didn't talk about this one. This is a big one. I can't look at it as God lying. You know, Titus 1-2, Hebrews six nineteen. It is impossible for God to lie. Right. And and Jeremiah knows that, and we know that. I think the sense here is, when you called me, and we studied that in chapter 1, I didn't know this is what it was going to be like. When I answered the call, you didn't say, now Jeremiah, when you do this, you're going to get beaten, you're going to get spit upon, you're going to be put in stocks, it's going to hurt, your life is going to be miserable, you didn't tell me all of that. But if you go back to chapter 1, God does tell him it's going to be bad. Um, right. You know, he says, don't be dismayed. Um, the, you know, I'm going to bring you up against kings and officials and priests. And he says in the last verse of chapter 1, they will fight against you, but they will not prevail against you. Now, he didn't go into detail here. And maybe that's Jeremiah's... I mean, I probably would have been... I'm not accusing Jeremiah. Right. Because I think he's with Job and a lot of the other men we respect here. He's being real. We're seeing his, you know, visceral reaction to having been beaten and put in stocks. And he's not pulling back any punches. 
And God lets him do this, which tells you a lot about God's mercy. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, there's no rebuke of Jeremiah after this. And I think, you know, that's really funny because that's exactly what I have written down here is Jeremiah 1, 18 and 19. Because God does kind of give him, you know, to me I'm thinking of Jeremiah thinking, okay, well, God, you, when you called me, you said you were going to be with me and you were not going to let these people overcome against me. And that's in this complaint of Jeremiah, too. You know, he says, um, remove all of them. Then uh, that's when he starts praising God is right after he says those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where verse 13 falls. Because, uh, you know, verse 11 and 12, he talks about, let me see your vengeance upon those who were persecuting me. Uh, and I think he was remembering half of what God said in chapter 1, almost. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what, what he's focusing on. Because there's two sides of this coin. God says, like you mentioned, do not be dismayed. I will make you a fortified city, an iron pillar, bronze walls against kings, officials, priests, and the people of the land. And so he's got that in mind. I'm supposed to be this iron city mm-hmm. or an iron, a bronze wall, an iron pillar. And now here I am in stocks. People coming by, possibly striking him while he's in the stocks. He gets beaten publicly and then put in the stocks doesn't sound much like a fortified city and iron pillar bronze walls the whole thing but there is that other side of the coin that you mentioned in verse 19 they will fight against you and so I think you know he's he's saying you deceive me you coerce me but you know there's not really mm-hmm. I don't see a whole lot of deception in God saying the entire nation which who is Pashur but a priest you know, the very first verse says Pashur is a priest. And we have here God telling him, priests, kings, officials, everybody's going to fight against you. Now, God does not give him the details, or at least we don't have it here, of, well, here in a few years, there's going to be this guy, Pashur, who's going to beat you and put you in stocks. You know, mm-hmm. and then there's going to be all these other things happen to you. You're going to be humiliated publicly. People are going to hate your message. He doesn't go into that much detail, but he does say they're going to fight against you. Well, you know, the Bible is a remarkable book because God includes this stuff. And this isn't the worst, you know, this isn't the worst that we see people saying. I think probably the worst is the end of Psalm 137 where the people are, you know, basically praying that the Babylonians' children be dashed against the rocks. Right. You know, and, and people have looked at that and had a problem with it. But that's not... You know, I don't read that as God's will that babies get dashed against rocks. And I don't I don't read these words in, in verse 7 as a true declaration of God's nature that he is deceptive. What I see is a report, an inspired report, on the raw emotions of people in duress. God's people in captivity in Psalm 137. Jeremiah, after being abused, you know, he just got out of the stocks. He's mad. Right. So, how does that help? Well, whenever I'm raw and mad and angry and say things that I shouldn't say to God in prayer, I'm, you know, God is merciful enough to take that and absorb that. Right. And uh, there's a lesson here about prayer that we need to be truthful with ourselves and with God about mm-hmm. how we're feeling. Um, and that happens sometimes. And. It's not the end of the world if you right. lose your cool. Um, we need to say more about God here. 
Uh, both of us love this phrase in verse 11. Uh, the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Right. That's the ESV. The uh, American Standard Bible has dread champion, violent champion, Holman Christian Standard Bible, mighty warrior, NIV. Uh, you know, he's a warrior on behalf of the underdogs. It's kind of this section in 11 through 13, particularly the uh, the life of the needy. He's He's fighting for the needy. Make a good retreat theme for teenagers. Yeah. Dread I, warrior. God the dread warrior. Yeah. Yeah. And it challenges people's thinking. And some people might say, well, there's that Old Testament God. You know, there's that yeah. Old Testament God that disappears when Jesus is born. But it's the same God that we serve today. Mm-hmm. Um, his right, right there we're seeing his righteous side, his omnipotent side. Um, but all of the sides of his infinite attributes are always on display. It's just when it comes to people being oppressed, you're going to see the dread warrior if you're the oppressor. Right. That's what you're going to see. And then we have uh, the in verse 12, the Lord is described as he who tests the righteous, which I can't help but think of Abraham there from Genesis 22 when God tests Abraham's faith. And Tells how about him. the Rechabites from our last episode? Oh, yeah. Chapter 25. There's a good one. The righteous Rechabites are tested, and, of course, he knows what they're going to do. And so mm. it's not a temptation like the devil tempts people to try to bring them down. He tests right. the righteous in order to, to prove, prove them and make them better. Like Job. Exactly. And like Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. um, I like something Thomas Edison said one time... Uh, his house burned down, and uh, with it went a lot of his inventions and his work. And he was 67 years old, and he said to his family, he said, There is great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. And, um, you know, that's kind of what tests do. They burn up our mistakes and give us a fresh start. And, um, you know, Jeremiah's being tested here as well. And then, um, unless you, we need to stop for a comment or something, I'm going to go, you know, a fourth thing here is just, verses 11 through 13 show God's justice. In the middle of a chapter on how Jeremiah feels that he's been treated unjustly. It's really mind-boggling, but also very human, what Jeremiah is presenting us with here. He's just spitting mad. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden he starts talking to you know, the first word of verse 11 in my translation is, but. You know, all this stuff is happening, but the Lord is with me. And that's a reflection again of chapter 1 where the Lord said, but I will be with you. They will fight you, but I will be with you. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. My persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly ashamed. They will not succeed. And so he's talking about how, you know, all this is happening and, it, you know, it's, I feel like I've been deceived. But he's reminding himself of the nature of God, and that brings him back for a moment until he goes back into the depressing talk about wishing he was never born. Rather abruptly. You know, awesome. um, yeah. So, you know, it's, a, it's like I said, it's a mind-boggling chapter, but it's a very human chapter. This is exactly how a human who believes in God would behave under these circumstances. He, is, he would struggle in his faith. But he would also know for sure there is a God. So he's not 
you know, as C.S. Lewis used to be an atheist, and he said, you know, I had to ask myself, and I wish I had the quote right in front of me, but he's like, I had to ask myself who I was arguing with. Because he was always mad that the world, that there was suffering in the world and injustice in the world, and then he, he said, but I had to ask myself, who was I mad at? Right. And that's how he started down the road to belief is uh, you can't argue with someone who's not there. And so Jeremiah knows God is there. And that's the whole reason you have this, you know, bitter talk that, that you're reading here. Welcome back. We are going to make this practical now, as practical as we possibly can. And this is one of the chapters of Jeremiah where that's not too hard of a task. If I can get Andrew to quit yawning over here, I almost started a yawn because of that. Uh, coffee's not enough this afternoon. No, I think, you know, we're recording this one in the afternoon. The last couple have been... No, the last one was in the afternoon, too, but... That was uh, like 6.30 in the morning. Yeah. Surprisingly so more We do it whenever we can, yeah. Um, but let's let's go over some practical lessons here. Here's the, here's the first one. I'm going to steal the words from the Apostle John, the way that he put it in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Pashur is the classic false prophet. He looks mm-hmm. good. He's got the attention of the people. He's got the power, the position. And, you know, he's... How did you put it? Uh, Pashur on the... Chair oh, on the bench, like the judgment sure bench on the that bench, a priest was in on. Jeremiah in the stocks. Right, and I so got that all, from a commentary. Nah, I, I would love for that to be original, but it wasn't. Well, it sounds good. Yeah. But, uh, you know, by all appearances, Jeremiah's wrong, Pashur's right. Correct. But you can't judge a book by its cover. you got to look at the mm-hmm. contents and what's being said, and Jeremiah's obviously the true teacher you know, I want to go back to chapter 14, verses 13 and following, and read that on lying prophets. Jeremiah said, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. And the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. Therefore thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I did not send them, and who say, Sword and famine shall not come upon this land. By sword and famine these prophets shall be consumed, and the people to whom they prophesy will be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem, victims of famine and sword, with none to bury them, their wives, their sons, and their daughters. For I will pour out their evil upon them. Um, yeah, studying for this, I saw sermon outline from that chapter that said that um, false prophets are three things. Unattractive, unprepared, unsafe. But I don't think that's exactly right. Because, especially on the first count, they are not unattractive. All right, there's They're a not reason, unattractive. There's a reason they were so popular. It's because they were 
saying the message everyone wanted to hear. Exactly. They're attractive. You know, yeah. that's the danger of them. There's nothing unattractive about listening to a person say, hey, you will have peace. You will have no famine. You will have no war. Yeah. I mean, that sounds great. As opposed to Jeremiah, you're all going to die. Right. You know? <laughs> Who's unattractive, really? Yeah. I mean, not. I don't know what they looked like, but yeah. from the sound, who would you rather hear? And it reminds me of what Jesus said, Matthew seven fifteen, where he said, Beware of false prophets, for they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Um, you will recognize them by their fruits, their teaching. So, um, you know, they, they are attractive, actually. They may be unprepared, and they're definitely unsafe. But right. I, don't, I don't even know if they're unprepared. They're prepared. They're slick. They know what they're doing. You can't... The only way that you can know whether somebody is telling you the truth is by opening up the Word of God and comparing what they're saying to what's in the Word of God. Right. That's that's the only benchmark we have. Right. That's the big difference between Jeremiah and Pashur. Jeremiah is giving the Word of God. Pashur is obviously not because God himself says, I didn't speak to these people. I didn't send these people. And they're going and telling all these lies in my name. Right. So they're just blatantly, I don't know if, so now something that is interesting, and I'll ask you about this. It says um, they were doing these things, they, uh, they're prophesying lying visions, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. I mean, these guys might have been convinced that God had spoken to them in some way. Well, it might have been the case, you know, you've heard the saying that if you tell yourself a lie long enough, you start believing it. Right. And, you know, or you believe what you want to believe, and Mm -hmm. they were, you know, I'm sure there were some of them that actually thought they were doing God's will. Right. opposed to Jeremiah. This herd mentality, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. was playing in a bunch of their minds. Now, do you think, and this question is just popping up in my head, so I'm sorry to give you a heads up Mm -hmm. on this to uh, prep or anything. But do you think this kind of, you know, deceit of your own mind, do you think that works in people today? You know, people that maybe are convinced that God has directed them to do something. And I think everybody can relate to this in some way and see the danger here. Because I think with a lot of decisions in life, you know, we pray for direction and something happens that can be viewed one way or another you know, in the course of events, and all of a sudden, you know, we just decide, well, this is meant for, you know, God's trying to tell me to do this. And, you know, it could be that God's in this same situation. I didn't speak to them. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't tell them yeah. what to do. Oh, I definitely think there are people who are teaching false things that sincerely believe they're teaching true things. Mm-hmm. And they're just not, you know, using the word or they haven't, you know, used put the word in context and uh, that's you know that's 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 a challenge um, we've got to evaluate ourselves and make sure that we're not those people you right know? it could be very possible that we're teaching false things and so we've got to examine the word of God with an open mind which it's not easy to do right you yeah. know, to, to to believe that it is possible that we've been wrong our whole lives. Yeah, and it's I mean, that's kind of a, a scary thought to read that and to see the deceit of their own minds. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they've convinced themselves of something. That's an important phrase. Yeah, that might not necessarily be true. And I think we would all do very well to be careful of that. I, you have said, I don't know if it was in a sermon or a class or in this podcast, there was something, we were talking about situations like this in life, you know, attributing things to God without really knowing if yeah. God was behind it or not. And so many things like that happen in life. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think it was in our, that's what it was, it was in our podcast on Esther, where uh, oh, Mordecai said, and, who knows, yeah. If God brought you, he didn't say, hey, Esther, God brought you here for this time. Right. He said, who knows? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm kind of, I guess, getting off topic now. But I no, think... No, I think, I think, yeah, I think that's it's related good. to this in the in the term, in the idea of certainty versus uncertainty. Right. I and think it's you can good only be to, certain about what's in black and white in your Bible. That's correct. what you're certain about. Yeah, just kind of avoid... Or, being mindful of the danger of convincing yourself that something is true that might not be true. Mm-hmm. Having, you know, being deceived by your own mind is kind of a yeah. scary phrase there. Yeah. All right, we're ready to move on to another one? Yeah. Let's do another one. Um, there's a lot here about the Word of God. You know, his word was, Jeremiah says that there is in my heart, as it were, wait, He's speaking of the word of the Lord. And he says in verse 9, There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I'm weary with holding it in, and I cannot. He's talking about the word of God there as a fire shut up inside of him. And the lesson here is that when the word lives in you, you can't keep silent. And the converse is, if you are able to keep silent, then the word is not in living inside of you. Not that's a good. Point. You haven't hidden it inside of you, and it hasn't come alive. It, it's certainly not burning in your heart the right. way that it should. Uh, it can go, you can lay dormant. You know, it can be iced and frozen in your heart and thawed out and come alive again. But if the the word is burning inside of you, you're not going to be sitting there keeping quiet. Jeremiah. Right. His life was on the line. He's been beaten. He's suffered terribly. And he is mad, but he can't quit telling the truth. He just can't keep it to himself. And it reminds me of um, some of the things that Jesus said about discipleship. You know, the word disciples thrown around pretty easily these days. But Jesus' criteria for who a disciple is... It's very important for us to look at. Uh, I'm thinking of John chapter 8, verse 31, when he said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And he says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Abiding in the word is something very different than knowing the word, or understanding the word, or studying the word, or memorizing the word, or reading the word. Abiding right. in the word is hiding it in your heart, living by it, letting it rule your life, no matter what, despite the consequences. Right, delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating on it. Day yeah, and night. yeah. Kind there's another idea. good one. Yeah, and you know, I think about the early saints after Stephen's assassination or persecution, when they stoned Stephen to death in the city of Jerusalem. Acts chapter eight verse four says, "Those that were scattered went about preaching the word." So the persecution only ignited that fire. It was kindling on the fire. You know, right. it was just. 
made it spread throughout the world because the word was tucked away as a fire in the bones of those people just as it was in Jeremiah's bones. And uh, I think the solution to a lot of church growth problems is the word of God. You know, we've got to get it back in our hearts and we got to set it on fire. Right. Thaw it out. Let it let it burn again so that we can grow. No, you messed up now because this is one of my soapboxes uh-huh. right here. Okay. I, I think Go you're, to it. I think you're yeah. exactly right with the the problem with, and I'm going to write that down. I'm going to write listen to that and quote you on that. Uh, but I think a big problem with churches now, if you want to grow, if you want to get things excited, go back to the Word of God. How many times, Drew, have you been up there either giving a sermon or doing a class? Well, I don't want to just pick on Asheville Road because it's everywhere. That's I mean, right. Yeah. I'm just thinking of compared United States and then going on a mission trip. If you're teaching a class over here, you got folks sitting around studying the Bible, and you're leading the class and you're trying to get some discussion going... Case in point, I'll, I'll just put it this way. If you put you know, a lot of ministers in a room, similar to what we're doing right now with this podcast, and probably with everybody that's listening to this podcast, if everybody that's listening and you and I sat down in a room and we had nothing but like seven questions written down about this text, we could probably be there for hours talking. You know, we could do this podcast for hours, uh, just if we had more time, if the mm-hmm. if it would fit, and if anybody would listen to it, right? But I think we're pressing our luck as it is. But you know, it's I think people that really take it seriously, there's actually a desire to learn it. You can tell teaching a Bible class, giving a sermon. There are people that are always actually wanting to learn. You know, does that mean they're a thousand percent paying attention all the time? You know, just like sitting up straight and eyes glued in on whoever's talking. Yeah, no. that they never get sleepy sometimes. Yeah, right. that's not what you're talking. Doesn't about. mean that. But these are the people that every time they leave a class, every time they leave a sermon, they have learned something. They can tell you what it was about. They can tell you at least one point or one quote or something that they're excited to go and sit down. They like listening to sermons. They like going to classes. And I think just where we are, I guess the access that we have to Scripture has made that dwindle. And it drives me absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. If I'm teaching a class, whether it's with teenagers or adults, but it happens more so with teenagers, I think, just because they're not you know, as good as adults at hiding the fact that they're not really mm-hmm. <laughs> paying attention. But it drives me nuts sitting down with some teenagers and you're trying to study the Bible they're kind of just, they're all laughing at something, or they're all looking at their phone, or this or that and other. And it's not the lack of respect for me teaching the class, you know, because if I'm just trying to tell a story and they're doing that, you know, big deal, who cares, let them do what they want to do. But if we're trying to study God's Word, where, you know, where is the desire to learn? Where is right. the desire to be in the Word of God? Not just to memorize and all this stuff. Where's the desire to just soak it up and to get it into your heart? To where I'm, you know, this might not be the most exciting chapter, but I need to, I need more of this. I want to read this. Well, That's what do you think Jeremiah was like when he was a student? He oh, must man. have been, you know, soaking it up, right? Believing it. It's all a matter of whether or not you believe 
it is important. Whether or not you believe this is information with eternal weight. And right. if you believe that it has to do with your eternity, then you're going to listen to it, and you're going to get it any way that it comes. Right, and you're but going to be you excited to hear it. If, if you don't really believe that, then Facebook is going to be a lot more interesting to you than the Bible. Right. So it's sad that, and I think you're right, we have so much access to it that we take it for granted. We don't worry that we might be losing an opportunity because there's going to be another opportunity on Wednesday, and then another one on Sunday morning, then another one on Sunday morning at 10, then yeah. another one Sunday evening at 5. And then, and then whatever other... Be a study on Monday nights. And, yeah. You know, whatever it's like, well, stuff, big yeah, deal yeah. if I check out right now, I'm going to have another opportunity. And that's the wrong way to look at it. Yeah, right. You know, I, I, I understand why it's a soapbox, because it's very frustrating as a preacher, yeah. and this is going to lead us to a new application here. Was it's it? very frustrating as a preacher to, to look out on an audience doing that, which... You know, we gotta we gotta move on to another practical application. That if we don't squeeze in here, we're, we're gonna, gonna miss like the whole point of the chapter, which is, you know, I don't know how to word this except just use the word discouragement. Right. God, may, to put it in a sentence, I guess we could say God's people get discouraged. Right. And we talked about whether to make this just about preachers or not. I don't think we should, because I, I think sometimes I preachers are a breed that sometimes. And throws a little pity party too much, you know. Yep. Like we we don't have the hardest job in the world. I mean, let's mm-hmm. quit saying that. We have the greatest job mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. Not the hardest job in the world. Mm-hmm. And certainly not. Depends the, on who you're dealing with on any know, given day. <laughs> yeah, I mean there there are a lot of jobs out there that can be more uh, discouraging than preaching. But you know, preachers get discouraged. Uh, you know, none of us, that, nobody I know anyway, has been beaten and put in stocks. And then this is just the beginning for Jeremiah. Right. There's going to be some other bad stuff that's going going to happen to him, really for the rest of his life. Uh, this is a man who was told never to marry, you know, because mm-hmm. he couldn't have a wife and do his job. Uh, he's been mocked and ridiculed and verbal abuse turned to physical abuse here in chapter 20. And so he's discouraged and he's bitter and he's spewing this bitterness out in prayer. And, uh, you know, we want you to know, our listeners, that you may get discouraged too, and you're in good company because you're with Jeremiah. Right. And it many, reminds many others. me of, on that exact note that you just said, it reminds me of the, the last of the Beatitudes right there at the end in verses 11 and 12, where Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Yeah. So just like Jeremiah. Yeah. Jeremiah had the encouragement of God's initial promise of, I'm going to make you a city. They're going to fight against you, but I'm not going to leave you. You know, we have the exact same promise. People... Jesus has said in John, and you can help me out with the chapter and verse, uh, don't be surprised when the world hates you. Mm-hmm. You know, know that it hated John me. John 15. Yeah, 18. know that it hated me yeah. before, and, you know, it's going to hate you if it hated me. That's right. And then we have here, you know, you're blessed when you have a reason to be discouraged because Jeremiah had a reason, Isaiah had a reason, all these prophets that you read about were persecuted. Horrible things happen to them like we read about Jeremiah today. And their reward is great in heaven. God didn't leave them. 
yours is going to be the same. Yeah, that's a good place to end it. Uh, we're, are, we are thankful every time we hear that people are listening. Uh, we went down to Montgomery this past week and met some listeners. And uh, I was up in Huntsville uh, earlier in the week and met uh, some listeners up there, just folks that uh, we didn't know were listening. And yeah. it's always so great and overwhelming and humbling to hear. And so please spread the word. Let people know about this and leave us a, a review or a rating on iTunes to get the word out even more. Uh, we want to get that podcast up in the rankings a little bit where more people can see it and check us out. And we love to hear feedback. If you want to send us an email at akingsley at arcoc.com or dkaiser at arcoc.com, probably the easiest way to keep up with us is to follow us on Twitter if you tweet. Uh, that's... The handle, Twitter handle, at The66 Podcast, I think. Or the website, Mm The66.net. Check us out there. All the things are on there. Somebody said to me last week, uh, I've been loving Jeremiah. Wish I could get a hold of the past episodes. There's a lot of ways that you can do that. They're all up on iTunes. They're all up on the website. So, by all means, we've covered a lot of books so far. One of these days, I'm going to count how many we've covered so that I can announce it. How many episodes have we done now? This is 48. It's 48. We're going to have a 50th episode party. Oh, we might. Go Who will it. we invite? We might actually maybe drive to Starbucks and get some coffee for this. <laughs> do it. Let's do it from a Starbucks. It's our 50th Never. Yeah. I don't know. We might do something special. Hey, I know. A three-hour-long episode. That sounds great. No. <laughs> It'll have to be in the morning because it's too hot in here to sit much longer. We're going to... Go get in some better air-conditioned rooms. And so uh, we will leave you for now. And uh, stick with us. Come back next week. We'll have a new episode for you then.